Hello and welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. Our topic for today is about how what healthcare is going to be like after the virus. But before we get into that, I'd like to remind you to review and subscribe. Hello and welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. My name is Alex Hernandez. On the other line is Dr. Craig Stern. And uh, today our topic is going to be about what healthcare is going to be like after this whole coronavirus is, uh, well, hopefully have gone away. But, um, but uh, yeah, Dr. Stern, we, we wanted to talk about this because um, PM, of course, and uh, a couple others were wondering what, what it's going to be like for those in the profession with all these changes that have been implemented. What, what's it going to be like after the virus? Yeah, that's um, a kind of a general question. Let me give a general intro and then we'll talk about specifics about what's happening. The mm -hmm. coronavirus did two things to healthcare that were terribly important. One was um, they stopped all uh, wellness and physician visits. So people weren't going to the doctor and um, for their regular yearly review. Uh, they weren't going to the doctor for anything other something that was very serious. So that, mm. um, that was one impact. The second impact was that uh, doctors began to use more of telehealth so that they could review people over the phone. Uh, and pharmacies as well were kept open as an essential um, service, but they also did more drive-through more 90-day supply kinds of things. And patients, of course, had to limit their involvement with healthcare around the fact of what they really needed versus what they wanted or wellness uh, uh, review, et cetera. So we saw a significant impact on uh, overall healthcare that clearly is gonna boom as, the, um, as people begin to go out and the, and the virus issues begin to recede, now all of those people who were sitting on things that they had to have done discretionary things, even in dental practice discretionary things, that now they'll be in their offices in order to try and get all of this done. So it was a big, big impact, and clearly also financially a big impact on the healthcare system, on doctors, who had to close their practices, hospitals that were treating a lot of these people, trying to ensure the fact that they were going to be paid for it, and then other clinic kind of groups were trying to make sure that they were part of the participation. It's been a big impact on, on healthcare in general, including, unfortunately, layoffs of healthcare people that were essential in practices, etc. And you mentioned decreased um, uh, MD office visits and wellness checks, that kind of thing. Um, are we also seeing decreased visits to the hospital as well? Well, um, there are decreased visits to the hospital for discretionary kind of services, mm -hmm. discretionary kind of uh, surgeries, et cetera, so that the hospital became more of a intensive care place um, in order to deal with uh, the flu and with COVID uh, uh, virus uh, kind of intensive care uh, issues, et cetera. So hospitals did have to change 
And that became a big impact on what uh, was dealt with with staffing, et cetera, so that people could deal with it. There has been, by the way, a trend in hospitals to move more and more uh, uh, patient care to outside the hospital, which is why a lot of hospitals have purchased physician visit, uh, physician offices and all in order to deal with what was going on outside of the hospital plus what was going on inside and turn more and more of the hospital into more of an intensive care, more of a care for people that really needed it, and then when done to uh, shift them out and to deal with it outside. And uh, that clearly has been a big impact on what's going on. Yeah, and um, the, the reason why I bring this up is um, when, when politicians and, and other health experts get together to try to come up with a new health plan or a new way of getting everybody health care, health care insurance, um, um, they, they mention health increased hospital visits or they mention the, the lines to get into the hospital, wait times and things of that matter. Does this kind of help the argument now? with the with technology getting into this and we'll talk about that a little later but does this kind of help um the talks when it comes to getting a, a health insurance plan that's beneficial for everybody well the the main issue that we have is that um the care of patients has kind of lapsed and people are kind of waiting to deal with care versus those people who really need it for uh, the flu and for um, COVID-19, et cetera. Mm. So that's taken a primary care. The other things have taken a secondary care. Does that change things? Yes, it does, but it's not quite clear how. Meaning mm. uh, right now there's a lot of patient visits that are going on with telehealth. So the people are visiting their doctors through a computer hookup, dealing with that, uh, evaluating the patient in that way. That's a big change for medicine because medicine started out way behind every other industry that was using technology. Uh, medicine has had huge um, and, and very, very effective uh, diagnostic categories, including laboratory very effective issues with regard to drugs and drug therapy. But when you take a look at their use in general of healthcare, medicine was very late to the party to have electronic medical records in order to deal with um, issues with um, telehealth, uh, some of the apps that are done in order to deal with, with um, you know, monitoring people's blood sugar and blood pressure and even things that they wear in order to try and give numbers. Medicine was way behind in those areas. The move to the COVID virus in effect forced everybody to begin to use more of that technology. So in one way it was a very good thing and that was that um, healthcare was forced to become a reckoning issue with regard to communication and telehealth issues with regard to uh, communicating, trying to find out whether people had a problem with their sugar or their blood pressure or whatever in order to deal mm -hmm. with that. So it effectively forced medicine to become a player in technology, whereas before 
there was a significant amount of inertia. People just weren't getting involved in it. Uh, and uh, I think that has less to do with the age of doctors, right? <laughs> well, you know, um, um, clearly doctors of all ages are dealing with uh, patients in the hospital and dealing with COVID-19 um, and uh, dealing with the fact that that uh, doctors are trying to deal with, um, you know, seeing patients and otherwise at a, at a distance. It's typical and has been historical where patients come into doctor's office, doctor sits in front of them, takes a history and deals with their particular problems. It is very new and now very uh, really being pushed into it where a significant percentage of the doctors now are using telehealth in order to evaluate, see a patient. They can even look at some x-rays and some other, um, other uh, uh, testing uh, over the internet so that they can see what these things look like. That's, that's a, a, a relatively new thing, but more importantly, whatever was there has now been pressed to be a, a major impact uh, that has been pressed because of the um, COVID-19 and the concern about staying at a distance, not sitting in front of somebody, things like that. Right, so what, what impact does this have on like, um, children or people with disabilities? What, what kind of impact will this have on them? Well, it has a huge impact actually because um, well visits and doctor visits were delayed. The rate of vaccinations in children has fallen dramatically. So um, at least 40% of, uh, of children are not vaccinated for common conditions. So things like measles, uh, mumps, rubella, etc. They're um, they haven't been vaccinated for it. So the fear is is that because people couldn't get in, didn't get the vaccinations. As a result, there's a fear of having an outbreak of some of the more common kind of problems like measles um, mm -hmm. that is not controlled because people haven't been vaccinated for it. So we 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 have the huge risk that children's care is going to be worse um, and that there'll be a, a flood of people trying to get their vaccinations uh, now, but in some cases it may be too late. The other point mm -hmm. in the people with disabilities is, is that they were not included in all of these federal bailouts. So children and uh, people with disabilities did, were not one of the targets where people got money in the federal bailout. So we're dealing with people who are the most susceptible, people who have comorbidities or a lot of different diseases, people who need to be watched, but in fact, there wasn't money to take care of it. So they've had to delay a lot of these things. And as a result of that, there's the risk that they could be worse or they could be coming in with much more significant condition problems that people have to address versus what they would have been just common kind of things to treat um, before this started. So was, is there any way to avoid this? Like, um, you're talking about the most susceptible people. You, you would. Think really um, clearly, the federal government didn't see it that way. The, the doling out of money and, and the particular uh, things that were done, they didn't see it that way. Um, what should be done? Uh, well, number one is uh, people have to get their kids in 
for vaccinations. There's ways to do it, letting kids go in, get their shot, go out, and then another patient come in, etc. But kids have to be vaccinated because kids cannot have a huge influx of measles and other things because kids didn't get the vaccines. Number two is, is that the elderly, disabled population, et cetera, needs also to see their doctors because uh, people uh, have said, okay, you don't need to come in for wellness visit, we can deal with it later, but they do have to bring them in because you need to make sure that whatever they've been doing, their sugar is in, in control, their blood pressure is in control, the cholesterol is in control, et cetera, so that that can be done. So the wellness thing, which you and I've talked about a lot at being prevention, that effectively was shelved while all of people were dealing with the COVID-19 issue. But now it is necessary, even with appropriate social networking and, and displacement and issues with regard to masks, et cetera, it's absolutely imperative that these people be seen, be evaluated and addressed so that uh, in effect, we can try and prevent whatever there is, but there's also significant risk that people won't get in. And as a result of that, we may see other epidemics occurring besides the COVID-19. Um, when, you, when you mentioned vaccination rates being down 40% among children, um, yes. is, that, is that due to the COVID-19 or is that happening well before this? No, um, I mean, clearly there has been a group of people who are anti-vaxxers who didn't want their kids vaccinated. But a bottom line is this is across the board, kids across um, all groups, all ages, um, somewhere between two and 18 years old, where um, it was absolutely necessary for them to get their vaccinations, especially in the younger age groups, so that we could prevent some of this. Bottom line is you're trying to get uh, somewhere between 70 and 90% of the population vaccinated in order to try and deal with herd immunity and to protect the, the uh, population. But yeah. if people haven't been going in and they're not rushing in order to make sure that they get the shots, then there's huge risk for everybody else. Right, right. Um, well, what, has, what impact has this had on doctors and dentists' offices? Well, a, a lot of doctors' offices closed um, because they were not part of the, of the emergency and intensive care unit programs in mm. hospitals. So those offices closed. They laid off or furloughed uh, people from those practices. Um, similarly, with dental practices where things were not done, in 2009, when we had the, the Great Recession, dental offices weren't closed, but people weren't coming in for the most expensive things to be done in order to protect their mouth. And so as a result of that, by the time the dentist saw them in a couple of years after that, then what would have been a relatively common, simple kind of thing to handle now became senior, uh, hugely high severity and therefore had to be addressed. Same thing's true of medicine, where uh, the physician office wasn't open, so they couldn't go in and they couldn't get appropriate well visits, uh, visit for common problems. It all had to be 
uh, taken more in urgent care, emergency uh, kind of actions, et cetera. Certainly it's more expensive in those areas, but it's also true that um, the doctors visit and their, their data, their information about the patient is delayed and potentially problems are, are, are uh, more threatening and a bigger problem because people stayed away. Do you know dentist office, offices are open? I really don't know. I haven't even checked. Yes, they're open. See, I'm, I'm, I'm due I, for a checkup, but I can't, I can't imagine them being open. Well, but be aware <laughs> that they they have the shutdown like everybody else. So they will mm -hmm. also be coming back into practice like everybody else so that they're they're dealing with this not all in one day, but clearly beginning to come back mm -hmm. and address it over time. Right. And a lot of those dentists are wearing those face shields now anyways. Yes. Or is that or is that just with me? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I can understand them doing it with you. Um, but, um, but frequently, um, they had something on, mask on and gloves on anyways, um, yeah. before that. So um, they are concerned about other people besides Alex Hernandez. <laughs> I'm sure. I, at least I hope so. <laughs> so um, what, what we talked about doctors, we talked about dentist's office. How about pharmacies? What, what has been the impact on pharmacies? Well, pharmacies have been huge. Number one is, is that, you know, pharmacies were a part of the necessary groups to stay open. That was mm -hmm. important. But there's also been significant shortages of drugs because of uh, shipping drugs that were shorted uh, in wholesalers. There were even uh, people who had uh, the COVID virus or were, or were concerned about it who were using drugs that were very common for asthma and COPD. And as a result of that, there's shortages of many of these drugs because of the mm -hmm. emphasis that people placed on, on using them or getting a prescription for them before uh, necessary, or that they wouldn't have used in the first place, just to yeah. try and ensure the fact that they could breathe. Aside yeah, because uh, a lot of a lot of the wholesalers and manufacturers are offshore, so it's kind of hard to get them into the country, right? It to a degree, it can be an issue um, if it's from uh, India, for example, which is the largest manufacturer of branded raw material. Uh, that can be a problem because uh, clearly, any um, additional tariff issues, etc., is all paid for by the American public. So it's like a tax on, on drugs. So as a result of that, anything that we get from uh, foreign countries costs more because we pay for it, not them. And that, that becomes a real issue for us. Right, and then you, you talked about some of this transparency before. What, what do you mean by transparency and drug cost proposals? Well, there's been a major move in discussion, both at the federal level, at the state level, um, in trying to ensure the fact that people know what the cost of the drug is. And, and there's been multiple discussion before COVID-19 about mm -hmm. having some sort of a federal bill that allowed um, the government, meaning Medicare and Medicaid, to buy drugs at a much cheaper rate and to ensure the fact that at point of sale, the individual was paying less for the drug because they were getting all of the advantages of 
rebates and discounts and everything with regard to cost. Those discussions in general have gone away. So right now, the whole move to try and decrease drug costs at point of sale is a non-starter until all of this calms down and there's more of an opportunity to deal with that. But it isn't going to be something you're going to be able to deal with immediately because drug shortages are things that occur at the, at the site, as we've talked about. Um, India is the largest manufacturer of raw materials for, for brand drugs. Israel is the largest source of generic material for generic drugs. Uh, Italy is um, the source of uh, medication, certainly in the benzodiazepines that they use for anxiety and uh, sleeping, things like that. Um, so this is an international world. And therefore, any, any visions of cutting people off, cutting uh, sources off, cutting, cutting whatever they can in order to prevent transmission is also affecting those industries in a very large way. Now, pharmacy, yeah. of course, um, as well, has had to readjust. Uh, several of the pharmacy groups um, have complained bitterly that they didn't have appropriate materials, masks, gloves, etc., to protect their own employees. That became a major cause of, of problems. It was also true that people began to move more than 90-day prescriptions because they could call in and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this and I need a copy of my old prescription or a copy of, of something new so that I can try and get that refilled and deal with it on a on a, uh, a lower cost basis. Right. Also issues with regard to um, the 90 day scripts that, uh, where you get a prescription for 90 days instead of 30 days. You don't have to go to the pharmacy. There's a huge concern about compliance, meaning people have it for 90 days, but no one is reminding them that they have to continue to take their drugs the way they were prescribed. So as right. a result of that, you have a real problem because you you're you trying to track them, movement and yeah you want them to come <laughs> in. You want to make sure that they're they're uh, getting their meds, they're taking their meds, and that becomes kind of a quote wellness kind of visit. But those have been turned off. So there is a concern for everybody that they're not going to get the kind of care that they had before, and even if they do now and physicians open their offices, there may be long waits, et cetera, in order to deal with the backlog of what's going right. on. And you mentioned uh, early on about the drug cost. Uh, nobody's really talking about it. Um, what, what was this um, um, Trump negotiated a, a, a drug to be, was it insulin, I believe it was, to decrease in cost? It was recently, it was very recently in the news. I think he went after insulins um, mm -hmm. before his interest. Um, a couple of the major companies had already reduced the price of some insulins down gotcha. to 10, 11, 12 dollars. That had already occurred. How um, much of a drop off is that? Well, um, that's a huge drop off compared to what it was because, in general, these drugs probably started at over $50 instead of 10 or, or, or 12. 
And that became a major concern because diabetics in general were concerned they couldn't get the meds or they couldn't afford the meds. Right. What went on. Now, it's also true, by the way, that compliance with uh, drug therapy, in including diabetes therapy and insulin, is running compliance about 50%. So in that oh, regard, wow. you want to make sure that people know that they have to take the drug. You want them to make sure that they understand it, etc. And part of the training for that goes on in pharmacies every 30 days when they're not only refilling, but they're reminding them how they should be taking their drugs. Is there, is there a reason why um, insulin compliance is so low? Is it, is it because it's harder to take or is it, is it uh, just an annoyance? What, what's, the, what's the issue? It, it's hard to say, but insulin compliance has been low for some time. Part of it has to deal with the fact that people don't like the needle. Right. Um, part of it has to deal with the fact that um, they don't like to have to do testing and then do an injection to try and follow what's going on. That becomes an issue. It also becomes an issue where people are afraid of hypoglycemia, where they can um, fall down, they can, um, you know, uh, feel dizzy and restrained, etc as to what goes on, or even hyperglycemia where, you know, their pulse is racing and, and they have other issues. And pulse can be uh, racing even when it's low. So either way, um, there are a lot of clinical reasons, and certainly cost became a major issue for it, where people were using some very expensive insulins, but it was more expensive than what they could afford. So um, in that regard, it became a problem where cost was also overlaid into what was going on. And uh, going back to what we talked about with India, Italy, Israel, and how, how hard it is to get a shipment in to the United States of uh, just these raw materials, whether it be branded or generic, um, is that affecting drug cost here? Or is, or is there some kind of, uh, I don't know, ceiling that they can put on these uh, drug prices from going up too high? Well, yes, they could put a ceiling, but it would require federal government action. And in that regard, the federal government has not come up with appropriate actions to deal with that. Some states have tried to deal with it independently, but if you're going to do it, you need some sort of an organized general approach to it. So it's not, I can't get it here, but I could get it over here so that people could travel over and get what they want uh, from that. Right. Not unlike what's happened for years where people have gone down to Mexico and gotten uh, prescription drugs that they didn't want to deal with in the United States or that were cheaper. Um, and some people have done something similar with Canada. So understand that a lot of these problems were there way before COVID-19. This has just magnified the problem and the lack of a plan in order to help supplies, to help drugs, to deal with, with drug costs. That whole lack of a management plan becomes a huge issue because people then don't have some confidence that drugs are gonna cost less or they're gonna be able to deal with it. Right, right. Well, I mean, so long as Mexico is always there as an option, I mean, I, I can get down there and get something real quick. Oh, good. <laughs> Good. Good. Glad to Damn, hear. you're hearing that? You too. <laughs> yeah, glad to hear it. 
Glad to hear it. Yeah. By the way, yeah. well, another issue on drugs, if yeah. I may, mm -hmm. there's been a lot of talk about the difference between science and politics. Science has identified that there are drugs that work and drugs that create problems, um, issues with regard to facts and people not wanting to follow facts but wanting to follow whatever facts or story kind of fits with their own agenda. Uh, medicine is very scientifically based. It may not be as sophisticated in that regard as physics or some areas of chemistry um, and, and neurobiology, et cetera. But bottom line is science is science. And if, if the scientific studies identify, for example, that remdesivir is not safe, not approved for people, and that can create significant cardiac arrhythmias, meaning irregular heart rates going on, whether the studies were done in people in hospitals, whether the studies were done for people that were symptomatic or asymptomatic, this is science trying to deal with the safety of, of these drugs. And so uh, having Is that said what that, they're finding with this new uh, remdesivir? Yes, yes. remdesivir's, oh. um, the approvals for it were pulled because of issues that were being seen from cardiac uh, kind of problems. Um, but it, it identifies that science has a process, it's a methodology mm -hmm. of trying to get to truth at the time. And when politics gets involved in that, then all it does is give less of a um, uh, emphasis on the science and begins to say, well, I could do that and nothing's gonna hurt me. Well, in fact, many of these drugs do hurt you. And so you need to be very cognizant of the fact that truth versus fiction, truth has has some scientific background to support it. Fiction is fiction, and that's just like the old snake oil salesman trying to sell um, you know all kinds of bottles of cure all on the back of a wagon. That has gone on for a very long time. Yeah, or you know, much to your point, we always got hydroxychloroquine to fall back on, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, none of them are approved to treat COVID-19. They have their own approvals uh, to treat um, uh, issues that are have nothing to do with COVID-19. Yeah, I take it and I feel great. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. All right, I'm not going to turn this into political discussion. Thank you. I promise. Thank you. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's actually all I had for today. You, you have anything else you would like to add? Um, no, I, I think it's important that everybody realize that as we come back, you do need to make sure that your well patient visits, that your vaccinations, that any shots that you're getting, you're complying with the drugs that you are, are getting and dealing with and mm -hmm. reporting any complications so that your doctor can see it and, and address it. And certainly pharmacists are still very available in order to try and help you with these things. And um, um, one good nugget to go out on, if anything, COVID-19 has showed us that we could adapt to it. I mean, there's a lot of uh, places adapting to it, using technology, um, you know, people like my wife visiting the doctor through, um, messages just kind of face-to-face -face video conferences it really helps and i think it'll do wonders for the future when we start looking up health plans and how we can change in the future I as well too. i do too yeah. it's um time consuming 
and mm -hmm. in some cases expensive to go to the doctor. If you can cut all of that out and do it, you know, on Zoom or on on um, the internet or otherwise, that's a great benefit for a lot of people, especially some of the older disabled people who mm -hmm. can't easily get a ride or get someone to take them in. So I think there's a great benefit. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's it for our discussion today. I'd like to remind you all at home, go to ProPharmaConsultants.com. We have a free information page called RxInfoX with all the goodies of uh, what's going on today as far as news. COVID-19 usually takes the boat on all of them at the moment, but there's always going to be various healthcare news that we need to catch up on. So we've got a one-stop shop for you to get all your news and healthcare information as well as articles written by Dr. Stern himself. It's called Pharmacy Benefit News. Um, it comes out once every two weeks. And, um, and that's it for today. We will see you next week.